Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is where you might be. It is 0800 on July 15th, 2021 for me out here in the woods outside of uh, somewhere near Warrington, Virginia, an undisclosed location. Honestly, I was supposed to get this podcast put together yesterday, but there's been so much stuff going on that I didn't even have time to keep up with it. The, the news just does not stop. Let's jump into some of the more interesting things, though, that have occurred in the last week uh, that are, are really applicable in the space around security and cyber and zero trust. Now, if you're not aware and you don't keep up with Congress, Congress is a great place to keep an eye on because they're the ones that are writing the legislation that's supposed to take care of and help us stay ahead of the problem space and legislation and whatever else. Now, there's been lots of people, including myself, submitting things up to uh, congressional leaders to try and get them to do something about a variety of different topics. Now, one thing that I was uh, participating in was sending some draft guidance on deep fakes. And the government, somehow or another, managed to schlep this thing through. It's H.R. 2395. It's the Deep Fakes Accountability Act from 117th Congress sponsor is Representative Yvette Clark from Democ- uh, from New York's 9th uh, area, 9th, whatever they call that. Sorry, I'm drawing a blank. It's a little too early in the morning here. But anyway, basically what this is, is that they've put together a bill which talks about how they're going to legislate around requirements to mitigate the threat from deepfakes. Now, let me read a little bit of this because I think this is a good thing that they were willing to take the guidance and sort of try and throw something against the wall and see if it sticks. But again, the problem we run into here is that there is no mechanism of enforcement. This is just more do this thing because we say and we have a better plan than anyone else and whatever, and this is what it is. And uh, there's no way to enforce the things that they're talking about in this. And let me just give a little bit of this, right? So... Section one, and if you've never read these things, they're like 30 pages. It's a lot of legalese. Uh, It's pretty mind-numbing, but um, I would strongly encourage you, if you're interested in what goes on in the halls of Congress, you know, go read this type of stuff. So section one, the short title, the act is cited as the defending each and every person from false appearances by keeping exploitation subject to accountability act of 2021 or dot, dot, dot. The Deepfakes Accountability Act. Hmm. Now, it says that this is in reference to Title 18 and a whole bunch of other sort of legalese stuff. But really, here's where it starts to go kind of off the rails. Now, they talk about the different sorts of types of deepfakes. They talk about, you know, the, the requirements for digital watermarks on every piece of content um, generated. Can you imagine watermarking every piece of digital content created? Good God. I'm creating digital content right now. I'm not going to watermark it, but this is a requirement within this bill. <clears throat> it also talks about that you have to uh, have a mechanism for tracking when things are created and when they're used and etc. I don't know how in God's green earth you would ever be able to do that. I can't even think of the amount of process and compute technology that would be needed to to keep up with this. I, I, where they really go, if you read through this bill, is that they're talking mainly about the use of this for uh, manipulating video content and audio content of uh, elected officials and those types of things. They talk about 
targeting people and pornographic uh, means and, and those types, which agreed all the stuff that has to happen, but the ability to actually do this is the problem. And they do say that there is a penalty in here, a criminal penalty <clears throat> that if you don't do these things, if you don't watermark and if you manipulate media and you get caught and whatever else, they talk about five years in prison or a fine. Uh, I believe it's up to $250,000, which no, excuse me, $150,000 per record per alteration. So, I mean, that could be substantial if you're a person. I mean, if you did, you know, 10 videos or 10 deep fakes, good Lord, that's crazy. Um, I, I mean, this is, you know, interesting because they're trying, right? But this continues to be where things go wrong is when you take a really technical thing, like the ways that technology creates media content, video, audio, whatever, and you talk about the ways that you can manipulate media with deep fakes, the artificial intelligence, the ML, those things. And then you try and legislate over the top of it with a bulldozer. It doesn't do anything. It, it's not going to be enforceable. This, you know, again, I would applaud the people that took the time to write this bill. And I applaud the representatives that brought it in front of the voting body. But you're not doing anything to actually fix the problem. I hate to break it to you. It's, it's just stuff and it's not going to go anywhere it's not really enforceable and even if you do put it in place what's going to be the outcome i mean this is you know very much like a lot of the privacy legislation that we have being written where it's not enforceable how are you going to make this stuff actually you know do what you're saying that it has to be done I, it it's good uh because it means they listen you know i mean i wrote a bunch of papers and sent them up there and i i think that i i think i saw some of the actual content that i wrote show up in this so that's good. Somebody listen. The system sort of works in some way, shape or form, but they're not dealing with, you know, the other piece of this, which is you have to have a technical means to enforce it. Just, you know, you, you've got to explore that further before you just go off and go in Dominus Patria, Fili Santi, this is how we're going to do it. So anyway, if you get bored, go to congress.gov, look up HR 2395, the Deep Fakes Accountability Act, read through it. Even talks about Department of Homeland Security, God help us, getting involved in tracking deepfakes, which, I, I mean, has he ever dealt with DHS? Like, I'm sure they're pretty dang busy right now. I don't think this is something that they're necessarily qualified nor prepared to handle. So let's, you know, address this draft legislation. <clears throat> um, not really a good thing. Now, follow on from there, good article on Security Boulevard, um, phishing ransomware, driving the wave of data breaches. And this is not a shock for anyone to really, you know, read when they've been in this space. Um, it, it talks about data compromises have increased every month, every month in this year, except for May. Uh, why it didn't happen in May, who knows? Maybe the, maybe they, oh, well, there's May Day in Russia. I don't, I don't mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, but there isn't a specific reason. If that trend continues, there is uh, about an average of 141 new compromises per month for the next six months. Dang. The total for this year is going to exceed, listen to this number, 1,632 breaches, which is going to be bigger than the largest breach record that we've had over the course of a year, which was 2017. This was from the uh, Identity Theft Resource Center's latest research. Um, it looked tracked about, uh, data breaches and it also said that they were up 38% Q over Q quarter over quarter for a total of 491, uh, this, uh, Q2 instead of Q1, which is staggering. 
uh, phishing ransomware and supply chain attacks continue to be you know, kind of what eats everybody's lunch. Um, it, it could talk about more. It basically says that the trend that we see indicates that things are only going to be more complicated as it goes forward. There's no drop in what's going on. Again, not news to anyone, but the question that we should be asking is, well, why is this continuing? When we're in 2021, when we have all the technology, all the capability, all these super amazing things available to us, why do we continue to have these breaches? Well, it seems to be logically that if we look at how the things are actually architected and put together, the big infrastructure providers, the big companies, the ones with the mega, the mega budgets and the resources and human capital and all that, they're way more secure. They're not the ones being pwned as often because they've had the time, effort, resources, et cetera. Where they're getting ripped is that the fact that the bad guys have moved downstream and they go after the easier targets. And then they work their way through there and they get in via remote access and those types of accesses. So, you know, we're going to continue to see this as long as small and mid-sized enterprises can sit there and go, mm, I don't think I'm a target. They're not going to come after me. Why would Russian APT care about me? Why would the Chinese APT care about me? Why would blah, blah, blah. Like we're all a target. Everyone's potentially compromised and we have to be aware of that. We have to deal with it that way. It's no longer logical or intelligent, honestly, to sit there and just go, yeah, we're, we're okay. Well, I don't think anybody's going to come after this. They're coming. They're coming after you. They're walking around your yard, like just waiting for you to leave a door or a window or something open. And if we don't deal with it collectively, everyone's going to suffer collectively. That's just the reality. The trend tells us this. Um, it just continues to be more and more and more and more problematic. There was also a really good report published, uh, let's see, July 7th. Um, I didn't read it till uh, the 9th or 10th by Jonathan Gregg uh, on ZDNet. White House urges mayors to meet with state cybersecurity officials on ransomware. Okay. Um, the Deputy National Security Advisor, uh, Ann Newberger, talked about the risks during this conference of mayors, which this is great. Like, this is the type of leadership we need where somebody that has the, the bona fides and the credibility and the heft is going out there and talking to municipalities and saying, like, look, folks, I'm here and I'm telling you, you need to do this. This is this is the leadership that we're looking for. It was really good to see that Chris Ingalls and uh, Ann Newberger were put in place where they need to be. However, we still run into the issue of mayors and city officials and municipalities actually being either empowered or capable of doing anything about this, right? The article says the White House is urging mayors across the U.S. to be more proactive about cybersecurity measures. And it met with state-level officials to test their cybersecurity posture as attacks continue to plague both small towns and major metropolitan areas. I think I read this week that there was a city in Kansas that went down. There was another one in uh, Oklahoma. Um, so even the heartland, right? The middle of the country where everyone typically says, nah, we're not on the coast. We're not a target. Um, yeah, they are. You're networked. You're targeted. According to Ann Newberger, who again, I'm a huge fan of, urged mayors to immediately convene heads of state agencies to review their cybersecurity posture and continuity plans. Okay, cool. But... Have you ever actually like been to a state and worked where uh, you, you get into the who's doing what inside of a state organization? I would, uh, I mean, I did it for a few states when I was doing red teaming and pen testing, and whatever. 
Um, I would be surprised if most states you run in and you say, who runs cyber for this state? If you found an individual, I would fall over on the floor in most cases. Like maybe in some of the bigger states, California and New York and Texas and, you know, some of those, you might find like a person or maybe some little bitty agency with three people sitting in a room that has no air conditioning and no windows somewhere, maybe, but the majority of states are going to say like, we got other stuff to do where we have roads to build. We got people to take care of. We have water to move, whatever. They're not going to say they have a cybersecurity lead or an organization or whatever. If, if anything, you might find that they've contracted it out to somebody, which maybe that's not the worst way to do it, but it's, um, it's problematic that we're telling again. And this goes back to what I said about the, you know, the congressional thing is we're, we're sending people and we're doing a lot of the right stuff, but we're not realizing the real intricacies of the problem that it just doesn't work that way. You can't go to a municipality or a state or a local government and say, hey, like cyber is serious. You got to do this. And of course, there goes the dog barking because he always does. But they're not going to dive in on this. Like they're going to go, OK, uh-huh, I got it. And then they're going to sit there with their fingers crossed, with their heads in the sand and go, I really hope that we don't wind up on the cover of MSNBC, even though odds say that they probably will. Uh, you know, you can look at this and see, um, we talked about some of the cities, Tulsa, Atlanta, New Orleans, Baltimore, others have all been hit. Um, and they talk about the ransomware payments. Uh, there was a report from East Entire that I found that talked about Ryuk, the ransomware gang. Uh, went after Jackson County, Georgia, paid 400 grand, Rivera Beach, $590,000 in the Port County, Indiana, 130 grand. It's a good time to be a ransomware operator because, man, that low hanging fruit uh, over there in, you know, small cities and municipalities, boy, it's available and they'll pay. Um, hundreds of millions of dollars were made by the bad guys just by going after municipalities and local governments. It, you know, it, I don't know how anyone can sit there and say, no, we're not target you're a target whether you like to admit it or not and it's not comfortable like i get it it's it makes you kind of tense in the chest to be like oh my god someone actually cares about us enough to come after us and you know try and bring us down like that's that's not that's not cool but it is what it is um you have to be aware of this you have to deal with it this way if you don't it's uh <laughs> i mean it, it, it's just a matter of time and it's it sounds cataclysmic and whatever but it's not cataclysmic if you stay ahead of it like you know if i'm if i'm in indiana and i'm running a municipality and i'm the mayor or something i don't want us to be owned so i'm going to do what i can to to figure out a way to be more cyber secure so that they'll go somewhere else if my neighbor down the road gets owned like it sucks for them i'm sorry but it ain't me you know if we're running in front of the zombie horde and you trip brother i ain't picking you up i mean that that's where we're at and until we get past this, it continues to just be what it is. Now, there was another report published by PT Security. Um, it's about a 16-pager, and uh, it, it's about penetration testing, right? External pen tests from uh, basically their analysis of what they did over the course of 2020. Um, and it's it's actually really good to read, even if you're not familiar with penetration testing and red teaming, because they tell you kind of how it works and what they do. Um <clears throat> But one of the things that stood out to me was they have a, a, a sort of a post analysis, right? And one of the things they said was, and this is a quote, 
At one of every six companies they tested, we found traces of prior attacks. For instance, we found web shells on network perimeter, malicious links on official websites, or valid credentials in public data dumps. This indicates that the infrastructure may have already been under control of the hackers. Hmm. Wow. That sounds like something we tell people all the time about being uh, accepting breach, right? Understanding that you probably already are compromised. You know, this is a penetration testing company that's being contracted and paid to come in and go after an organization. And they're saying in one of six, so pretty good percentage, we found that they already had indicators that somebody else was already there. Somebody had already penetration tested them that they didn't want penetration testing from. It's a uh, it's wow. I mean, when you think about that, right? One in six, how many companies, and this is just a smallish sort of penetration testing firm. Do the math. It gets really, really big, really fast. Now, they did kind of give you a breakdown too on what the reality of a penetration or a compromise looks like. Hackers, and this is quote, hackers need from 30 minutes to 10 days to breach the perimeter. The average time for penetrating a local network was about four days. In one case, it was about 30 minutes. In most cases, however, um, you know, meaning that it didn't take them, uh, they didn't throw the, everything in the kitchen sink with it, took them about four days on average. So, uh, you know, that's not necessarily encouraging. I mean, 30 minutes, okay, that was, something was probably really wrong there. Like that's, that's probably not a good uh, example to set your baseline. But four days, um, that, that's concerning. At 68% of companies, an attacker can access the internal network in no more than two steps. That's crazy. When you really think about that, okay, four days for them to get in, and then when they get in, no more than two steps to get to other stuff. Like that's lateral movement. That's lack of micro-segmentation. That's going to let ransomware proliferate. That's where things go from, from problem to end of days. If you can't deal with that, um, it's going to be you know even worse uh, when you when you look at what they use to get in, 77% of cases, penetration vectors involved insufficient protection of web applications, right? At least one of those sorts of vectors, insufficient protections on web, were present at 86% of companies. The other penetration methods consisted mainly, mainly, mostly of brute forcing credentials. Wah, wah, wah for dbms database management and remote access like where else are you going to apply controls everyone talks about how do we plan and plot and scheme for this and this is so difficult and whatever else this is people telling you from doing compromises and saying what they use to get there you take care of segmentation you take care of access control and you make it harder for them to get in and you're winning like if you could do those couple of things it would be substantial. I mean, it, it flat says mainly consisted of brute forcing credentials, passwords, usernames like that continues to eat everybody's lunch. We've got to get past the password. We got to do better. 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 Passwords are not going to make things, you know, anything. Uh, we're, we're just not going to get any better. It just is what it is. Um, everybody's jumping all over Kaseya. I mean, I, you know, whatever. I'm not going to go down into that because it's already been beat to death. But I, I would say that I think that if you look at the rundown, like the AP published a really great article on it. Um, you know, firm hacked to spread ransomware had previous security flaws. 
somebody over time there submitted a 40 page paper to the leadership of Kaseya talking about the vulnerabilities they had. And this was a few years ago and nobody did anything with it. And then they got ripped and then bad things happened. Does that not meet the definition of negligence? Does that not meet the definition of someone ignoring a problem until it got bad? And how much money did they make in that time, right? From the time that that report was submitted till the time that they got owned, how much money did they make securing customers? Maybe at least they should forfeit that back to the customers. Maybe there's maybe that's something that they have to do. I don't know, but this you know this is just indicative of a larger problem, and we continue to see that people are negligent and get away with it. Has anyone been blasted or you know called in front of the Congress to the carpet yet? Yet on this Kaseya thing, not to my knowledge. I mean, we're not too far into it, but when will something happen? When will someone who has done something that is meaning the definition of negligence in any other industry, get punished in cybersecurity. I don't know until that happens. I don't think things are going to change. Good article on Medicurity. Uh, uh, Biden says U.S. will take any, any necessary action to defend the U.S. against ransomware attacks. Um, okay, cool. Uh, you know, it talked about Ellen Nakashima was quoted in here, uh, super, super people, Eugene Scott, you know, it, you know, and Biden says, I made it very clear to him the United States expect when a ransomware operation is coming from his soil, Russia, even though it's not sponsored by the state, again, Russia, we, the United States, expect them to act as act if we give them enough information to act on who that is. And that's what Biden said he told Putin. Cool, but... I mean, again, if you look at the the trade craft, right? The Putin is a, is an ex KGB guy. The way that they think, the way that they're programmed, and the fact that the guy has been in power for as long as he has been over there and has done as well as he has been, he's a crafty sonner, sonner, the son of a bitch. He's a crafty son of a bitch. Why did I say sonner? Anyway, um, maybe I'm having a, a senior moment, but I mean, in reality, like he he's fine with the chaos like that's part of the goal of of this type of trade craft he's i don't know who did it well we didn't endorse it wasn't you know we don't say that that's okay tell us who you want us to go after and honestly if they do they'll probably go after some folks they'll probably arrest them they'll probably put them up and do a parade of we found the bad guys but it's all flim flam like they're not doing it to actually change the game or make anything any different for a whole bunch of reasons but it's not going to fix the problem um and we don't have the means diplomatically to say do this when it's in a foreign country on their soil they're just we just don't especially not to an adversary nation like that and especially on top of that to a guy like putin who is enjoying watching this chaos play out because it, it wins you don't and in that manner of warfare i don't have to beat you i just have to let you bleed out over time trying to deal with all the bs so that I win by default. And that's what's happening. Like that's how this continues to get be bigger, better, faster for them. Because every time something here goes down that's critical infrastructure, they get time to spin up and do better. It just is a, it's a game of, it's a war of attrition and it continues to roll out and roll out and roll out. And I don't think we're gaining ground. Um, I, I think we're, and it's not, it's not the Biden administration. It would happen. It would happen to any other administration. It's just the way that things are put in place in the United States are not aligned to cause problems and do the right things that need to happen for this sort of warfare mentality that they have to have to put in place. Now, 
They said that Revol went down this week. I think it was yesterday. Revol's down. Revol shut down. And, and uh, you know what that is is our people in windowless rooms in you know Maryland and Georgia and other places doing what they do because that's they're the best of the business. Is that going to shut Revol down forever? No. Is it going to cause them to just abandon all hope and stop doing cyber stuff? Nope. They'll be back. They're going to go somewhere else. They'll spin up other infrastructure. They'll find new things. They'll move to new corners of the dark web, whatever. They're not going to go anywhere. And you can see this with all, you know, uh, TrickBot and all the other cats that have come and gone and they've been shut down by the FBI and whatever. No, they come back. They're, this is just cat and mouse. But, you know, the, the good people in the windowless rooms in uniform and out of uniform that are doing the work, taking the fight to the enemy, good on you. Um, but it's not going to shut them down. So just, you know, those of us that aren't in classified spaces, we just have to take it for granted that, look, there are people out there doing what they can and they're giving them the best that they can, but uh, they'll be back. It's not shut down. It's just a temporary disruption and they'll find a new place to go. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like it when I see publications come out that say, they took them down because it's it's wrong. They didn't take them down. They irritated them enough that they went somewhere else or they freaked them out enough that they went somewhere else. But they'll be back. Money drives action. Money drives activity. These people know that they're making lots and lots of it and they're not going to go away. They're just going to transit to somewhere else. Now, in, in the comedy sort of side of ransomware and cybersecurity, I thought that this was hilarious. And Gareth Corfield wrote this article in the Register. Um, it was published on the 6th of July, <laughs> and the title says, Ransomware hit law firm gets a court order asking crooks not to publish they stole. Holy shit, that's funny. So a law firm got hit by ransomware, and they went to the court in their country, and they said, we want you to give us a court order to tell criminals not to use what they've stolen because we don't want that. Um and it's it it, it 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 actually it's hard to even read it because it's so funny. A barrister's chamber hit by a ransomware attack has responded by getting a court order demanding the criminals do not share stolen data. Wow, um, they're lawyers, right? I mean, that's what a barrister is, and they're going to tell a criminal like don't do bad things. <laughs> in what in what possible world would that make sense? Um, uh, let's see. So the company, I think, or the, the firm for New Square Chambers, which counts IT disputes experts among its ranks, which, uh, okay, obtained a privacy injunction from the high court at the end of June against persons or persons unknown who were blackmailing the firm. So it literally says that they don't even know who the hell they're going to take to court if they knew who to take to court. And they're going to say, don't do bad things and don't use the data that you stole from us. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but um, hmm. uh, it even says in the article, uh, the, uh, let's see, the Lawyer magazine, which the name of the magazine is The Lawyer, uh, reported the ransomware attack, but said that obtaining of an injunction against people outside the jurisdiction of the court seems strange. Um, yeah, the, the order, the injunction, this is, this is great. Um, orders the ransomware criminals grr, not to use, publish, or communicate or disclose to any other person any of the unspecified data they stole in June. It says no data from four new square appears to have been published on the known ransomware gangs Tor hosted leak blogs through the injunction. So 
jolly good. I guess your injunction stopped them. No, I didn't do shit. They're not gonna. They're they're laughing. Um, they'll use it whenever they want. So it'll leak. It'll be you know put out there, and they'll use it for whatever they want. This is this is comical, and this goes into the side of it where, like I say, and I say a lot, um, legislation in the space does not understand what's really going on. And the fact that someone out there with IT experts, quote experts on their staff had the gall to go off and have the court waste its time writing an injunction to say bad people that did bad things were condemning you for doing bad things. And we don't think you should be you know, doing those things. Grr. Um, like that's, that's asinine to the highest order. Um, the, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a good part here too, where it just says it's very difficult to see what effect, if any, a civil non-disclosure order will have on a ransomware gang, potentially based in a foreign hostile nation, especially when such criminals attack multiple countries, critical national infrastructure with apparent impunity. So why waste your time? Why even do this? Like, uh, I, I think this is something to use in like the laughing stock of the approach to solving cyber problems. Like doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, you know, criminals typically break the law, so they don't care about what you tell them not to do. Um, yeah. So whew. anyway, uh, closing out here, you know, this last report, which I thought was really good. Um, Sage Lazaro at VentureBeat, public cloud security, just barely adequate, experts say, not good. Um, you know, talks about the rise in attacks and multi-cloud and et cetera. Um, it, it's big, right? The, she said, or they, they say, the vast majority currently of organizations operate in multi-cloud environments, 73% of us, almost all security professionals surveyed, you should read this report, 98% of those report that relying on multi-cloud security providers creates additional security challenges. What's more, the majority of folks surveyed here in this report um, believe cloud providers' efforts to ensure security for users is just barely adequate and that they should be doing more. Um, this was the software got me there, so I got cut off at the end of that uh, that report on VentureBeat, but I did want to wrap up with just the, the last piece of that report from uh, Tripwire that was published on VentureBeat, Sage Lazaro. Um, it talked about the research uncovered that visibility is a significant problem for security professionals dealing with multi-cloud providers because they have lots of moving parts. It's hard to see what's going on there. Visibility will eat your lunch all the time. Of those that were surveyed, 21%, less than one in four, said they have a centralized view of their organization's security posture and policy compliance across all cloud accounts, which is pretty crazy when you think about it four clouds, 5,000 plus employees, all those apps, all those moving parts, and you can't see everything going on, that leads to problems. Um, most also noted that shared responsibility models for security between cloud providers and their customers is not always clear. And 75%, three out of four of them, rely on third-party tools and expertise to secure their cloud environment. So three out of four need some help, three out of four need additional uh, technology or, or human capital, and on top of that, you're dealing with a space where the cloud is responsible for security of the cloud. You're responsible for security in the cloud. And people forget that. They say, well, I've got it in GCP. I have it in Azure. I have it in whatever. Like, yes, but that's that's where it ends. They'll give you the cloud and they'll do the basics. Like it even says, barely adequate. But anything after that, that's on you. We need to know that. We need to be aware of it. 
um, you know, it, it, it's not going to get any better if we don't really deal with it in that manner. And the last data point here, which is truly a, a kind of shocking when you look at it, this quote here, what's more, most organizations rely on existing security teams to complete training or self-teach for cloud. Only 9% of those surveys would categorize their internal team as experts. Well, that goes back to why 75% of them need more help. But, you know, so we're doing all these multi-cloud things with one in 10 or slightly less than one in 10 being able to say that they actually have the, the past experience capabilities skill set to do these things in the multi-cloud environment problem not not going to get any better anytime soon if that if that isn't solved somehow some way um you know and the technology in the space exists to make this more doable but it requires a concerted effort to do that so anyway that's the stuff i've got for july 15th 2021 again i'm a day late here but uh there's been so much going on sometimes it's hard to keep up um Cybersecurity continues to be the most interesting space there is. Um, do good things, take the fight to the enemy, stay safe, and stay secure. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only, all views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.